day, receiving the kindness of Ajahn Gong uh, to teach Dharma to us in this afternoon session. So he's the uh, senior monk at uh, Bhutto Bhagawa Monastery in uh, the northeast of Thailand in the Konrachasima province. And he's also a disciple of Ajahnanan, has uh, lived and trained at this monastery for many years as well. So we can uh, recite the invitation for the Dharma talk together now, and uh, Yomiran will lead that today. The Brahma God, Sahampati, Lord of the world, with palms joined in reverence, requested a favor. Beings are here with belittled dust in their eyes. Pray, teach the Dhamma out of compassion for them. Brahma Jaloga Tipati Sahampati Gat Anchali Ang Tiwarang Ayajata Santi Tasata Parachakachatika Tesetutamang Anukam Pimang Pachang. So Tan Jan Kong started off the talk by asking for permission from the, the senior monks here, so the other monks and the novices to speak on the Dhamma, and uh, extend his greetings to all of the lay people joining us. Said so he wishes to begin the Dharma talk with uh, praising the very beautiful uh, invitation to the Dharma that was chanted before. And see, this was full of faith, and uh, it's a good way of increasing our faith right from the start uh, of the Dharma talk. He also asked to use uh, some smelling salts in the beginning to, as a means of uh, developing anapanasati, with mindfulness of the breath. This is something that Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, recommended uh, to apply some of the smelling salts uh, to the tip of one's nose. It's a means of uh, making the breath clearer. And these are products which uh, are easily found in Thailand. There's uh, many different brands of them. It's something that when uh, people come to Thailand or Thai people go overseas, um, then they will buy them in order to give to their friends because uh, there's so much of them here. So you can say that uh, Thailand is a Buddhist country uh, in terms of um, very developed in terms of anapanasati, mindfulness of the breath. So, as I said, uh, I give my anamodana uh, to all of you, all of the monks and the lay people who have the faith uh, to join us, have the faith in the Dhamma, the teachings of the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. And these are teachings which no teachings in the world can compare to. 
Because if we look at uh, the teachings in the world, then we're able to find is, um, these teachings that people just use to, to just carry on their lives, you know, to just be able to find uh, things to sustain their lives. But the Dhamma, it is there for the hearts of all people. And our minds, our hearts, are things that are very important. The Buddha taught that um, the mind is the chief, and we succeed in things due to our minds. So this differs from the teachings in the world. But we need to understand these two languages, the language of the world and the language of Dhamma, in order to be able to live happily together. But for the most part, people don't understand the language of the Dhamma, they don't understand uh, this Buddhist religion. They just know worldly standards in terms of happiness. So if we're going to talk about happiness in terms of the world, um, people don't have, it doesn't reach the depth uh, that the Buddhist understanding of happiness does. The worldly happiness is fun, that the more fun that we can find, then the more happy we are. But this kind of happiness, it's a temporary happiness. It's a happiness that we can only find through external things. We need to exchange uh, money or the things that we have in order to gain this happiness. But people understand that to be real happiness, but it's something that's fleeting. And it's not like the happiness with regards to Buddhism. This is a happiness that we can find for ourselves within our own hearts. If we really are sincere in that, if we have correct understanding, and we don't need to waste our money in order to gain this, because it's something that we're able to practice and cultivate for ourselves. So if people practice it a lot, then they get a lot of results from that. If they practice the Dhamma a little, then they get a little bit of result. And if they don't practice, then they don't gain results. So this happiness in regards to the Dhamma, this is a different kind of happiness than the happiness of the world. It's a happiness that the Buddha found and that the awakened beings have found. But the happiness that normal people consider to be happiness, the way they understand that, they understand it from the wrong point of view. It's not a correct understanding in line with the reality of nature. The Buddha taught that really peace is happiness. And peace is something that we can find within our own hearts. That even if there is chaos in the world, there are disasters or even war, if we have peace within our own hearts, then things are okay and we're able to find happiness even in those circumstances. But people in the world, they may listen to this and think, well, how is that even possible? You know, if there's war going on or if there's disasters, 
then how is it possible for us to find happiness in those situations? That there's uh, so much frantic activity happening, so how could it be possible to find any happiness? But if we understand happiness and contemplate that in line with how the Buddha taught it, um, then that doesn't really, we don't need for things to be uh, really peaceful externally, that we're able to find happiness within our own hearts. So in terms of the practice of Buddhism, the people ask, well, are people who are not Buddhists, people from other religions, are they able to put this into practice as well? Are they able to practice the Dhamma? And the great teachers have taught that um, anapanasati is mindfulness over the breath. Well, the breath doesn't have any religion. And all people are able to practice with that because it's something that's communal, it's something that belongs to everyone. And really the teachings of the Buddha go very deep and they don't force anyone, they don't force people to have respect uh, for Buddhism first in order to practice it. You don't need to believe in, these, in it in order to practice it first. It's something that all people are able to do. It's something that the Buddha discovered for himself. And we, as his children, grandchildren, his disciples, that we practice uh, in line with what he found. And so we're very fortunate ourselves to come across these teachings. So there can often be a lot of chaos in the world and in society. There can be many disasters, wars that break out. But the great teachers have said that even if World War III uh, starts, that we don't need to fear that, because that can only cause us to die once, just die from this lifetime. And really, we have three bombs within our own hearts, and these bombs are worse than nuclear weapons. They're able to cause much destruction. And we may have these very large ones, very powerful ones, or they may be less powerful. But these are things that we need to be careful of. And these three bombs are those of the defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion. So we need to be cautious um, of these. And the Buddha really emphasized these hearts of ours, that we need to know and understand our own minds. So that we get to a point where they don't need to be born anymore. Because each birth that we take up is just suffering over and over again. When people ordain into the Buddhist religion as monastics, then they recite the chant saying that they do this for the ending of suffering, for the realization of Nibbana. And so Nibbana is the ending of suffering. And this is something that 
lay people are able to realize and practice too as well. Because where is this Nibbana? It's in the abandoning of greed, hatred and delusion. And whenever we can put down greed, hatred and delusion, then we experience a temporary Nibbana right there. We experience that kind of happiness right there, the happiness that comes from this temporary absence of greed, hatred and delusion in the, part, in the heart. And so if we understand Nibbāna in this way, then we can see that this is something that we're able to experience in our daily lives. So the teachings of the Buddha, uh, the Dhamma and the Vinaya, uh, these Dhamma teachings and the uh, code of conduct that he laid down, that he did this uh, for many reasons, uh, for the abandoning of greed and lust, the abandoning of suffering, the abandoning of uh, conceit and of laziness, putting down the defilements and association with unwholesome things. And the Buddha taught uh, right from the beginning to the middle uh, to the end of the path. And this is something that we can put into practice no matter who we are, no matter what, uh, what state our lives are in. He also taught the duties that we have towards one another. So the duties of a husband towards his wife and a wife towards the husband. And so how should they practice with regards to one another? the duties of a student to the teacher and the teacher to the student, of a child towards their parents and the parents towards the child. He taught about all these things. This is what we call the Navaka or Wada. Uh, so the teachings or the instructions uh, for those who are new to the dispensation. He also taught about the heart of the religion. And this has three aspects. So the first is the abandoning of all evil, of all uh, things which are not good. And so whatever that is, whatever isn't good, we refrain from that, we don't do that. And then we practice wholesomeness and goodness. And then this third aspect is very important and it's something that is only there within the Buddhist teachings, which is bringing the mind to a state of purity. It's abandoning both the bad and the good, putting both of these down. It's about not attaching, not clinging to things, bringing up the state of purity so that the mind doesn't get born again. Because any birth that we take is just constant suffering. So whenever we feel this coolness within our heart, when the mind settles into peace, and then we can experience this temporary Nibbāna here in the present moment, we can bring the mind to a state of solitude and seclusion. So we use our meditation objects to do this. So practitioners, we 
and get the feeling that the chaos of the world, that it's enough already, that we don't want to do things like how other people do them. They're going out and trying to find happiness externally and getting really exhausted in the process. And it's a lot of suffering trying to do that. It's really chaotic. And you feel like we've had enough of that already. So the Buddha taught three teachings which are never wrong. One is the cultivation or the bringing up of effort, which here means developing mindfulness. And then there's the restraint over the senses. So the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. And whatever we receive, then we know that in the heart itself. And also he taught about frugality with the things that we use, knowing enoughness with regards to uh, what it is that we use. So like us coming together online, uh, practicing on this retreat, the, the things that we have, we use them just for this practice. And that doesn't bring up agitation, it doesn't bring up any heat or chaos. So we put these three teachings, which are never wrong, into practice. Having effort and developing mindfulness. Mindfulness here in the present moment. Being restraint, or uh, having restraint over the senses and knowing enoughness with regards to our use of things. So in this retreat, we have a boundary with our lives uh, that we can use for the practice. So we experience this solitude with regards to our bodies, that we're staying in our houses or wherever place that we are uh, practicing at the moment, or staying in the monastery. And having this external boundary, it helps us to uh, restrain the mind as well, bring this composure to the mind. So we have this external solitude uh, for the sake of this internal solitude as well, having composure over the mind. And for the mind to be composed, we need to have a meditation object. So we can use Buddha, Dhammo, Sangha and recite those. Or we can be mindful over the breath. And when we do this for the sake of Upati Viveka, which is uh, solitude from the defilements, this freedom from greed, hatred and delusion. These defilements, which are more powerful than nuclear weapons, these three bombs within our hearts. So the great teachers, they really focused on mindfulness. That when we're practicing, that we should train ourselves in mindfulness. And also this quality of sampajanya, this clear awareness as well. And why is that? Well, it's because sati and sampajanya, this mindfulness and clear awareness, these are the foundations for the arising of samadhi, for this collected and firm state of mind. And samadhi has as its cause sati and sampajanya. So Ajahn Chah, he taught that 
the kind of mindfulness that we normally have. It's just an instinctual mindfulness. It's just something that uh, cats and dogs have as well. Things that are a kind of mindfulness that we just use in order to survive. But in terms of our Dharma practice, that kind of mindfulness is insufficient. So we need to develop the kind of mindfulness that we can use. And we use these meditation objects and keep those with the mind in order to develop that. So doing this, the great teachers have said, is like looking after many monkeys. We need to try to care for these monkeys, to look after them. In order to do that, we need to tie them using a rope and tie that rope to a pole so that the monkeys aren't too mischievous. So looking after our mind, it's like looking after a hundred monkeys. And we need the rope of mindfulness tied to a meditation object. So Buddha, Dhammo, Osanko, keeping those within the mind, reciting those internally, or having mindfulness over the breath. Because the mind naturally will try to jump about into the past and the future. So we use that rope of mindfulness tied to a pole in order to prevent the mind from jumping around so that the one who knows doesn't get exhausted. Because the nature of the mind is that it's really fast, it thinks very quickly, and where those thoughts lead to is usually suffering. And it's a suffering that doesn't have any point to it. We get involved in things that are pointless and that just cause us difficulty. So therefore we need these teachings of the Dhamma. And as we listen to these teachings, then we gain techniques and methods. So we should receive those and contemplate them, try to put them into practice. And if people say that this practice is easy, then it's easy. If they say that it's difficult, then it's difficult. It really just depends upon us. It depends upon the sincerity that we have. But it's important to have these methods and these techniques. It really doesn't require a lot, but what we need to know is some techniques that we can put into practice in this present moment. So Ajahn Chah said that we should just use the things that are around us, just use our natural way of life in order to help us develop mindfulness. So right from the time that we wake up, as we're getting up, then we have awareness that we are getting up. If we go to the bathroom, then we know that. Whatever it is that we're doing, we recite Buddha along with that. Or if we're walking, then we can recite left when we step with our left foot and then right with our right foot. Because sometimes if we just recite Buddha, it's, it's merely a recitation. It's merely just the mouth making sounds or the mind making sounds. But the mindfulness isn't there. The mind's not really there with that recitation. But if when we're walking, then we recite left and right, we do need to have awareness there as well. Because 
otherwise, then we'll get them mixed up. That when we take a step with our right foot, we may recite left. So we try to find these methods that we can use, principles that we can use in our practice. So if we don't know these and we don't have these, then we'll always be thinking about the past and the future. And it's natural for the mind to be this way. We may want to, to stop thinking, but we're just not able to do that. Really only beings that are freed of defilements can do that. But even still with them, you know, thoughts appear in their minds too. But that's just like water on the leaf of a lotus. The, the water drop just rolls off. And has anyone seen a drop of water be absorbed into a lotus leaf? It doesn't happen, it just rolls off. So it's like these thoughts or these moods arising within the mind of an awakened being. No one freed from defilements, they just arise, stay and cease in the same moment. But for us we have many thoughts. One thought comes and then another comes and compounds on top of that. The mind just carries on proliferating, thinking further and further. And the great teachers have taught that it's natural for these things to arise and cease, uh, that we um, receive them. And it's at this place of sense contact that's really important to have awareness there, to understand that. Because after sense contact, then there's sanya, perception that arises. We may like that or dislike it, and then the mind just carries on thinking with its commentary on top of that. So like if our phone rings, then as soon as we hear that sound, uh, then we start thinking, well, who is it? And we look at the name of the person calling. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. And then we start thinking, well, is this going to be, they're going to be talking about something good or something bad. But if it's an awakened being, then they hear the sound as just a sound. That they just receive that sound and there's no need to proliferate any further. They pick up the phone in line with their duty. And we can do that as well, reciting Buddha when we pick up the phone. And it's like the mind is controlling a robot. And this robot needs to move around and do various things. And the mind is there aware of that, knowing it. But with that knowing in the mind, it doesn't suffer due to what's happening. But for the most part, for us, we suffer immediately. For the awakened beings, if there's a thought, it just arises, stays and ceases in the same moment. So we need to understand the mind and methods to bring up good mindfulness and clear awareness so that we don't suffer excessively in our lives. We try to keep our mindfulness there, not allowing the mind, not just leaving it to do whatever it wants. Because if that happens, then we experience a lot of suffering. So this practice is really not something that's 
all that difficult. If we know the methods of the practice, if we have a correct understanding of what we're doing. This practice of restraining these 100 monkeys of the mind is something that if we don't have good mindfulness, then we can get really tired doing that. So we need to gain an understanding into the mind, into the nature of the mind and its principles. And if we practice correctly, then when we sincerely practice, then we get the results from that practice. When we practice, that's what we're after. We're after the happiness uh, that the Buddha taught, this happiness that comes from peace, which is different from the happiness of the world. So Ajahn Anand uh, taught that in order to enter the stream of the Dhamma, we need to go against the stream of the world. And this is something that's quite difficult to do. It means we have to go against the desires of our hearts. But as we go against those, then we enter into the flow of the Dhamma. Whereas Venerable Ajahn Mahabua uh, taught that really the standards that we use to measure our practice, um, we can't use worldly standards to do that, to measure uh, Dharma practice. Because in terms of worldly things, you may think that if we have eight tenths or nine tenths of a task completed already, we're very close to 100%, um, then you'll feel very light already. But in terms of Dhamma, if there's just one thing that's left, that one thing is very heavy, because the mind is in a really subtle state already. So the Dhamma and the world, they go in opposite directions. In order to experience the happiness of the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, then we need to go against this current of the world and enter into the current of the Dhamma. In order to gain this happiness there within our own hearts. So I'll leave these teachings for you, uh, for you to consider and put into practice. So may all of you grow in happiness and in Dhamma. And I give my animodana rejoice in the goodness that you're all creating. <laughs>